Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's edition of About to Review. I'm your host, that guy named John, and I have two guests with me on this episode, all bearing different color lightsabers. First, we have Dr. Andy, who has a green lightsaber. Salutations. And then we have this guy named Steve, bearing a blue lightsaber. And then me, who has the special dark saber, otherwise known as the black saber, which goes into the expanded continuity. Nerd! Uh, so, yeah, the, the dark saber. Read up on that, kids. Anyway, so on this episode, if you could not I'm tell mystified. already, we are talking about Star Wars Rogue One, or rather, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Full title. That's a heck of a mouthful. It is. Uh, let's just call it Rogue One from now on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> From this point on, known as Rogue One. So before we get into that... Rated R. <laughs> Sorry. Couldn't is hold it? back. Is it, it's is not. It's no, it's a, but it's just fun to say Rated R, especially after Rogue One. Wow. All right. There we go. Uh, so uh, first, before we get into Rogue One, uh, I do want to talk about... I put up a picture a while ago on my various social medias of some books that I received from the publishing company DK. Now, these books are incredible so steve and andy both have a book in front of them so steve how about you talk about the one that you have in front of you and also uh big shout out to christy sheehan who is an associate publicist at dk who sent these to me so yeah these are awesome so we're going to talk a little bit about them steve go ahead i think if you're a stats nerd about anything and you want to apply that to comics this seems perfect because it breaks down all the various superheroes of which i know very little honestly Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think i could learn a lot who's who's stronger the hulk or juggernaut Ooh, yeah i mean granted juggernaut i mean is this a real question don't want me to go into this well how much time do you have (laughs) (laughs) because with the gem of sidorak and the bands of sidorak uh juggernaut can put up a fight anyway Uh uh-huh yeah well it's beautiful there's lots of info yeah it's fantastic excellent and Andy, which one do you have with you? Um, I have in front of me the mysterious world of Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a it's a weighty tome, not as weighty as as the one you have in front of you, uh, uh, John. But it is uh, full color, full of excitement. I haven't had a good chance to look at it, but I think I could learn a lot about Doctor Strange from this. Um, I should point out that I'm not a comic nerd, but I, Doctor Strange was one of the ones that I uh, irregularly dipped into mm-hmm. at various points in time. I did find it, it one of the most uh, fascinating of the uh, comic uh, uh, stories. Um, so, yes, I, I, I did take a quick look at the Dread Dormammu section. Yes. And the thing about the Doctor Strange book that is also special and unique compared to the other books that, that we have right now. It has, what would you call it, Andy? Like the gold edging on, on the mm. paper. Mm-hmm. So that it's in and of itself. Quality material. Yeah, I mean, yes. all three of these books that I have uh, are all hardcovers. They are all super in-depth. So the one that I have is the DC Comics Encyclopedia, which is massive. I mean, this book itself weighs probably 15 pounds, It is huge. It goes over... The thing that I like is that it goes over things from random characters all the way to, you know, the more well-known characters. And this one is up to date when it comes to the New 52, which... 
granted, I am I got way behind on. So there were a couple years in the New 52 stuff with DC that passed me by. But with this book, it definitely gave me the opportunity to look through, see some of those new characters and new storylines and how they kind of play off each other. But yeah, the DC book that I have, let me just flip to the back. Uh, yeah, over 350 pages. So it is it is crazy. It looks like some gorgeous. good paper there too. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, it's beautiful yeah. color and everything. I have the one that has Hulk blown up on the cover. And you know what this reminds me of is when I was a kid, they would have book fairs that mm -hmm. came to my yep. elementary school. And I would buy yeah, like uh, the Guinness Book of World Records, mm -hmm. which if you're a millennial, <laughs> uh, you know as like a coffee table book. But it used to be like an actual uh, almanac, I guess mm -hmm. you could call it. Yeah. It used to be just text and, mm -hmm. you know, some black and white photos. And I would pour over that and read them all. And uh, I also had a cartoonified map of Six Flags. Mm -hmm. I used to just stare at that and, like, think about what everything was. And this reminds me of that in that I could really lose myself in it. Oh, yeah. There's so much color and just amazing facts uh, that... I think, especially as a kid, with this one in particular, uh, I could stare at for hours. Mm -hmm. uh, yours looks like it has uh, quite a bit of text and information. It absolutely yeah. does. Yeah. And that that's is... the encyclopedia. Yeah, Mine exactly. is more of like a coffee table book. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And the good thing that I like about all of these books is they're all ages in the fact that, yes, the reading comprehension level, especially when you look at some of the DC interior stuff, is dense. It is really dense. But... It has enough pictures to break it up, has enough bright imagery, and certain characters get larger sections in the book, obviously. So all ages can get into this book and also grow into this book, which I think is something that is also really unique. But yeah, with the book fair, do you remember like the scholastic, like the book it? When you would get, there was a button when I went to school where if you read a certain amount of books in a certain number of time, you got a gold star. And you would get five gold stars, and you'd go to Pizza Hut and get a personal pan pizza. I, I, I think you're getting a little off topic here, John. <laughs> <laughs> it, it relates to books. Uh, but yeah, so I wanted to definitely mention those and mention Christy Sheehan again. Uh, all of these books are available on their website, uh, dk.com, also on Amazon. Because the, you are listening to this episode on Wednesday before Christmas, you can still pick all of these up. Uh, they range in price. The Marvel book that Steve was talking about is $19.99, going up to the DC book, which is $40. $40 for this DC Comics Encyclopedia is a steal. I was about to say, it's a steal. I mean, it is super, super in-depth. And again, you can have this book for a long time and keep reading it and going back to it. So, yeah, I wanted to, to give a shout-out to them. I hopefully am getting an interview with one of the authors of the DC Comics Encyclopedia on the show in a couple weeks. So look forward to that. But in the meantime, definitely go to DK.com. Look up absolutely everything you need to know about Marvel, the mysterious world of Doctor Strange, and the DC Comics Encyclopedia. Subtext, the definitive guide to the characters of the DC Universe. So there you go. Thanks again, DK. Now, on to the Wars of the Stars. Uh, to not rated R, Rogue One, rated PG-13, <laughs> Rogue One, a Star Wars story. We're going to break this up into a few different sections. Those sections are going to be the tone, the pace, the action, and ending with heart. So how about Andy, 
tell us a little bit because you were actually in this i mean frequently i like to make fun of how old andy is uh because he did walk in here with two canes and a beard down to his knees but yes but uh with the time of the season they were actually candy canes john oh zing look at this guy uh so since you were the only one of us who actually was alive, alive? <laughs> when, when these first ones when it first came out do you remember this being the cultural phenomenon that for my generation we look back and be like this must have been huge what are your memories of star wars it was it was it was uh really huge and certainly as a kid i couldn't wait to see the first episode which uh unless i am mistaken i think i actually saw in canada so in north america hmm. yeah um unless that was the empire strikes back who the hell remembers it such a long time ago <laughs> right. anyway no i mean um yeah i mean sort of the effects of something like this were uh, mind-blowing um you know it was it was uh, all that and more to be uh, to you know sort of for, for kids yeah absolutely yeah because this a lot of this was filmed in england at i want to say like i think pinewood studios mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. so and that was something that they have kind of maintained yeah. throughout all of these movies. A lot of the cast, the smaller members of the cast are British uh, character actors, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Very cool. Steve, what were your first memories of, of Star Wars? Uh, well, I wouldn't have seen them in the theater, but mm -hmm. uh, they must have re-released them. I, I, I must, Three different I, times. I didn't see them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I definitely saw the special editions when they came out mm -hmm. with the changes. Um, but probably saw them on TV, saw them on you know, the VHS tape, uh, DVD. I mean, mm -hmm. I, it was part of my world for sure. And um, I loved them. I, I wouldn't call myself a Star Trek geek, but... Uh, oh, you should not call yourself a Star, <laughs> Star Trek geek because oh, we're talking shoot. about Star yeah. Wars. Get out. You just edit, edit. If you want to. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not going to edit that one out. It's being on wax forever. I know the difference. <laughs> Star Wars. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't call myself a, a deep, deep geek but i mm -hmm. definitely have a strong emotional connection to it uh which i can tell you during um episode seven seeing it in the theater mm -hmm. was um very moving yeah excellent so there's something there yeah it's definitely um uh, a part of me i think our generation because they had already been re-released once and then they kept lucas just kept coming out with new additions i think our generation Steve and I, like it, it was always there. Like I always yeah. remember Star Wars being there. Growing up, we would actually have movie nights where people would come over and watch Star Wars. We would get it on VHS way before they started adding all the other crap into it. And then when they got re-released into the theater the second time, mm -hmm. like we went to go see them then. So yeah, it has always been there. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. going back and watching the originals in episode four, five, and six, the sound, the tone, everything just reminds me of home. Mm -hmm. Every, it is just such such a comfortable feeling mm -hmm. that then got destroyed with episodes one, two, three. But <laughs> uh, we're not really going down that rabbit hole. But yeah, just uh, I feel like it they has... will get mentioned. Oh, yeah. I feel mm -hmm. like it just has always been a part of my life mm -hmm. and just reminds me of some of the greatest moments yeah. in my life. As a kid, I remember having a lot of fondness for Return of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. I know now you look at it and you go, well, the Ewoks, it was silly. And I absolutely mm -hmm. see how the battle especially is so silly. Mm -hmm. But uh, the first half with Jabba the Hutt and uh, out there on the pleasure barge. Yeah. Uh, and the 
um, speeder bikes through that. That mm-hmm. was one of my favorite things about Star Wars because as a kid, you want to ride a bike. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's more than that's the thing you want the most. And um, it looked like the environment I grew up in yeah. Pacific Northwest. I can see that. So, well, yeah, the, uh, the forests of Endor. Yeah, I had a real strong connection with that. I had the toys. I had an X-Wing. For sure, the toys. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) This guy, (laughs) jealous. I wish I had had an (laughs) ATAT. Yeah, but I did not. Uh, I didn't have the Millennium Falcon. We could not even afford like the CTCT, which was the knockoff of the knockoff of the (laughs) ATAT. It was the GoBots. Right. Oh man, money bag C. But um, I loved it. I think the first moment when I realized life-size ATAT. (laughs) (laughs) I think the moment when I realized that it was such a cultural phenomenon was like high school years, Mm -hmm. and there was a a guy who somehow convinced the English teacher after school to show all three of them in sequence. Hmm. Uh, Obviously, four, five, and six at the time. And um, the teacher was cool. And she said, you know, starting at 3 p.m. And whoever wants to stay for the entire run awesome. of it. And I said, wow, you can really do that. And it they all really connect together. And it, it, it came into my mind as a um, nerd touchstone at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah. Absolutely. Hmm. Cool. So now that we have gone over our memories of, of Star Wars, which are many and very emotional, I think for all of us. Just at various points in our life, whenever, Andy, you saw it when you were, like, 45 years old. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> just very, very emotional times. So with the tone of, of this movie, of Rogue One, a Star Wars story, uh, I kind of just want to talk about the character development as far as tone. So this movie introduces a lot of new characters. And when I say a lot, I mean all but realistically three characters are brand new. And so we do not really have that much of a connection. Yes, there are a lot of Easter eggs that we will get into later with other characters. But as far as main cast, people that when you heard their name or saw them, you immediately connected to. And I should say for the casual viewer, even the ones that were not brand new were extremely unknown. I mean, Bail Organa, I mean, mm-hmm. the casual person doesn't know who that is or why. They're, they might right. recognize the name Organa as Leia Organa, but mm-hmm. they don't know any of the backstory and stuff. So I think for most people, uh, I don't know if you're talking about Darth Vader and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but okay. I didn't know if that was on your list, but the, yep. of the core cast, I would say it's almost entirely new. Yeah, I'm gonna yep. have to, I'll agree with Steve because I mean, sort of not... Uh, although I have, have seen all the movies at least once and some of them multiple times, I, I wouldn't categorize myself in sort of like the Star Wars nerd thing. So I don't remember the, all the names of all mm-hmm. the various characters. So, yeah, I mean, sort of, the, yeah, it's, it's a really wide sweep of new folk in this. Yeah. So speaking of the wide sweep of new folk, who did you guys really kind of gravitate towards in this brand new cast? Andy? Are you talking about acting or are you talking about the actual characters themselves? A little bit of both because that was the thing is I think one of the successes of this movie is they kind of went back to that back to the roots of the first one or first ones which even back then cast a bunch of relatively unknown actors. So I mean Harrison Ford had done some stuff. Carrie Fisher I think had done a little bit of stuff. Mark Hamill like there was not you know, that really wide range of people who had been in the business forever with this one, I think to a, to a lot of the casual moviegoers, a lot of this cast is also going to be relative unknowns. So yeah, you can talk a little bit about both their characters in the movie and the actors. If you had 
you know, mm -hmm. a previous connection. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, I would say in terms of characters that, that one of the more intriguing uh, characters in this one was uh, named Cassian Andor, I, mm -hmm. I believe it is. And he's played by Diego uh, Luna, who uh, for me is uh, significant uh, because of his association with the uh, Mex Mexican movie Y Tu Mama Tambien. Mm -hmm. He was also in Elysium, Frida and Milk, but really I associate him primarily with uh, Itu Mama Tambien. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, sort of a, a, ver a very engaging character, I thought, um, a very strong presence in the movie. And I would, would um, have to avoid spoilers, don't I? Yeah, so, I mean, oh yeah, so before <laughs> we go any further, as we were like 15, 20 minutes into the episode. So yeah, we will not really go into spoilers. This movie is still in theaters. It just came out. Uh, if we do go to maybe say something, maybe I will put a time code in there. That would take more effort. Do so. you want to lay out the basic though? Do you want to lay out the basics, or are we assuming we that, that everybody oh, yeah. knows? <laughs> we should, we should you know, let's lay yeah, a groundwork from which to yeah, yeah, edit this bit, bit out. Yeah. No, that, that is ridiculous. <laughs> so basically, uh, this is straight from IMDb, and we can go off from there. The Rebel Alliance makes a risky move to steal the plans for the Death Star, setting up the epic saga to follow. So there were people when they first started dropping trailers for this, the casual fans, I mean, I saw it online. People were just like, but wait, where's Luke? But wait, where are these people? Where, where's Han? This movie is a prequel to episode four, A New Hope. So the first Star Wars movie that was released in 1977, this is a prequel to that. So in the beginning of, of A New Hope, you hear Princess Leia talk about, you know, many Bothan spies died to get us these plans yep. this is that story this is the story of that group who successfully I mean it is not a spoiler because we you saw the other ones successfully got the plans for the Death Star but it was completely unknown kind of how that happened until this movie I'm so glad they decided to make this movie yes it's 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 brilliant and if they did an every other year type of situation where you know, the one year it was the main Skywalker saga mm -hmm. story, and then the other year it was an offshoot, something a little bit different. I would be overjoyed. That pretty much is what they're doing because I hope so. the Han Solo prequel movie is coming out. They uh, are going to eight. milk this cow until it is dry. <laughs> Actually, they would be milking this Bantha, which is produces the blue milk that you see in a lot of the Star Wars movies. Which... So you, you don't need to worry about this, Steve, in the slightest, okay? <laughs> yeah, no, the, yeah, you, we will be seeing Star Wars for a long time, which, if it is like this, and like Steve said, if they give us a story that we have not seen before, and they highlight characters that we have not really heard of before, and then they give us the saga movies, <clears throat> give it to me. Just give it to me. <laughs> I hope they continue to take some risks as well. Mm -hmm. um, now that they've shown with two movies that they can be successful and critically well-received, that they can uh, have the confidence to do things different, continue to uh, take risks. Are you saying now that it's out of George Lucas's hands? Yeah, part partly. But I think we can both agree that Episode Seven was pretty safe in a lot of ways. Even though this movie is a departure, I would include this one as being pretty safe in a lot of ways as well. It's okay. it's uh, an offshoot story, mm -hmm. but it is it doesn't um, do anything that's too challenging to the Star Wars world. It, it, it doesn't, but I mean, I guess we, now we, we're getting into the atmosphere of the movie, and 
I hope that it, this is kind of like a, a, a you know, a, a beginning point of a slightly darker tone to the whole. I mean, I know there is. I mean, sort of, it's not all sweetness and light in the <laughs> in the first six movies. Mm-hmm. People do die and stuff like that. But the, I mean, so there's difference between you know a character dying and the 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 entire tone of the movie mm-hmm. being kind of a bit darker. And this one definitely has some dark moments again can't really go into them much without mm-hmm. sort of like bringing things but I mean sort of the, the Cassian and or character is at the centre of some of the darkness of this Absolutely. movie and I think it adds it adds a l- so much more to a movie when your your um, your rebel characters are not all entirely heroic and you know they wouldn't hurt a fly except if it was an evil Im- Im- mm-hmm. empire eye uh, a fly 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 (laughs) those evil empire flies you really got to watch out for those evil evil so so yeah i i i thought that this this slightly just slightly i mean it's not a dark movie by any shape but i mean sort of just a little bit adds a lot and i hope to see more of that i totally agree and i think that that fits in with the tone really well um i think on the on the spectrum of kind of the and i will not go too much into this but uh, on the D&D spectrum of character alignment, how you have like a neutral character, a neutral good, a neutral evil, a chaotic neutral. A lot of these rebels are that chaotically neutral because they're not chaotic evil. They're not just going around slaughtering everyone. That would be the dark side. But they're not chaotic good either because we see, you know, Andor in kind of one of the entry scenes take someone out in a very unexpected way that I was I was kind of shocked by. I was like, this is a rebel that we were supposed to empathize with. And then he does this act that really surprised me. So they definitely, to Andy's point, yeah, they're they're kind of that chaotic neutral. They have a goal and they they want to do the best they can, but the roads they take, the paths they take to get there can be a little bit rough. Which at least brings it slightly into reality. Mm-hmm. I mean, sort of. This is this is uh, you know seen in many war movies, you know, yep. through you know the last few decades well, and stuff. Also, Batman and James Bond has become grittier and more Absolutely. realistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Do you think this is a continuation of that trend, and is that a good thing? I think people want more realism. I think that was one of the problems with the set of prequels that we got, episodes one, two, and three. The tone was just totally off. It was just. It was super bright. It was super colorful. There were some epic moments in it, and there were some epic deaths and dark things that happened. But overall, I mean, yes, I will blame a lot of this on Jar Jar. Uh, You cannot blame too much on Jar Jar. But it just, it was just, yeah, the tone was just off. These ones, I do agree that, yes, people want, and I think people can take a little bit more of an edge these days, and it does not have to be so candy-coated. Mm-hmm. There's a lot less comic relief in this movie than in uh, four, five, and six. I mean, yeah. Uh, ha- okay, so let's just talk about uh, episode four. Chewie provides some comic mm-hmm. relief. C3PO, of course. Yep. And Han, of course, at times provides that. In this one, there's one, maybe two characters that provide comic relief, and it's not really uh, in your face. In fact, I found our audience laughing 
maybe more than was deserved in my mind. Mm. Uh, but because I think they needed that, yeah, that's that what I'm saying. Little bit yeah. of release. Yeah. yeah. And who was the character who provided that uh, comic relief, Steve? Played by Alan Tudyk, mm-hmm. the droid K two S O. I've got to say, I of, of all the droid uh, comic relief, mm-hmm. I found him to be the most acceptable I, I i kind of am nowadays when i look at any of the other star wars movies i do kind of get annoyed by c-3po me too c-3po you know it it is a little bit over the top mm-hmm. uh what was funny is as we were watching this three of us went together to go see this uh, it was my second time seeing it uh when k2so you know first started getting introduced i nudged andy and i was like hey look it is you uh because a lot of the tone the k2so has his delivery of, of jokes was very reminiscent of a certain Spock-like friend that I have. What are you saying? Nothing. Nothing at all. <laughs> anyway, so, but I, I yeah. can definitely see, I could see more of, of that. For whatever reason, it's funny when we have a droid that is either neurotic mm-hmm. or depressed. Mm-hmm. And this one was more depressed. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I find that funny because... Uh, it was also in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Say, yep. Marvin, Galaxy. Marvin is yeah. so funny, <laughs> even in the remake, which had pluses and minuses. Mm-hmm. But uh, the design and the delivery was so good. <laughs> yeah. And this one, uh, yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. There was one of those funny moments that I felt like was completely unnecessary. Uh, and this is in, in one of the trailers, at least the main, the main part of it is in the trailer. So it's not a spoiler. Uh, at one point, the amazing Donnie Yen, who is one of my favorite modern action stars, uh, especially when it comes to Wushu up there with Jet Li. Uh, so at one point, he's, his character, Shirut Imwe, is fighting a bunch of stormtroopers that you see in the trailer. And at one point, he takes his staff and kind of like jabs it into a stormtrooper's foot. And he was like, how's your foot? And then like hits another couple guys. And it was just like, really? Like in the middle of this fight, there was just a super weird comedic beat that made no sense whatsoever. It works for Jackie Chan, though. But Jackie Chan, it is all It's camp. all comic. It is all comic. He ties it in effortlessly. This felt completely forced. And I just, I'm not sure why. Sharut had already been introduced as a kind of a, a loving, open, not necessarily funny, overtly funny character, but just someone who is easy breezy. This was just a weird beat for him to, to take. Mm-hmm. So, But in general, yes, K2SO did provide... I think the only character can to consistently provide comic relief. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah. So that was your character that you really associated with was Captain Cassian Andor. Yeah, I I, I thought he was uh, one of the the strongest presences in the movie. I will say that uh, the actor. I mean, sort of the only thing that took me out of him his character was his his English. It was just kind of a bit stilted it was hard to understand at times for me right and And i'm usually pretty good at hearing accents but yeah because steve travels all over the world and hears a bunch of accents (laughs) we get it (laughs) was just i mean sort of what that is one of the things it's nice Uh, again i like the fact that they are introducing uh actors from all over the world Mm -hmm. we had several non uh, i mean uh, actors who don't have english as a first language but it, it also took me out of it a little bit, both Donnie Yen and Diego Luna, and the, a third uh, character who plays um, Chirut's pal, I don't know how to pronounce this, Baze Malbus? Baze Malbus. Baze Malbus. Baze Malbus. Mm-hmm. Wenjiang. Um, 
again sort of the the accents were a little bit stilted as if hey this one this line is having to be fed to me you know rather than yeah, organically a, happening yeah, yeah yeah interesting i think that was something that they do a little bit better in star trek in in some of the iterations even when they have kind of non non-native english speakers or english you know not as a first language that I think part of that also is Star Trek has the catch-all type of thing where the communicator badge that you see is also an international decoder. So they can kind of like, they mm-hmm. get away with a little bit more mm-hmm. in this, since there is not really that translator built into the story arc. It does. It, it can sometimes be a little more obvious in this type of universe. Okay, note to the next producer, uh, <laughs> a few more vocal coaches. Fair enough. That's one thing I've always loved about Star Wars is that they let the non-English, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. <laughs> or non-basic or however you want to put it, they let the aliens speak their own language. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they did that with one in this one. Uh, they did that with one character, maybe two. I'm yeah, trying to th- think of th- another one. Yeah, there were a one. couple. Yeah, yeah. And with Chewie, they never translated it, mm-hmm. which was brilliant. Same with R2-D2. Yeah. Everybody knew yeah. what R2-D2 was saying. Yeah. Which, again... I liked that even back then, and this is at a time in the 70s, whether it was comic books, whether it was movies, go watch a trailer from a movie from the 70s. It is five minutes long. It tells you every character, what their story is. In the comics, everything was exposition. Mm-hmm. Ant-Man would shrink down. It would be like, oh, but my lakes can do this. And my arm, like, and it was just it was too much. I liked that in the original Star Wars, Chewie, yeah, never had subtitles. Do you think it would have hurt that much to have Diego Luna speaking Spanish and Donnie Yen, Wen Jiang speaking uh, Mandarin or Cantonese? Absolutely not. I, th- I, I would have, I think, liked that. I think people might not have been as accepting of it because they were humanoid uh, characters. I think when you see someone in this universe that, like one of the characters, uh, one of Forrest Whitaker's um, kind of lieutenants, we will say, this alien with this really cool designed mask and helmet is speaking some language that who knows what it is, but you never see any lips. It is just all behind a a mechanical piece on the face. And then you see the subtitles. Mm -hmm. I think with humanoid creatures in this universe, unlike Star Trek, where there are multiple different races of humanoids Mm -hmm. in the Star Wars universe, there is not that as much. So I think it would be more difficult for people, but I, I would totally appreciate it. hundred percent. I get the feeling get over it. (laughs) Right. I get the feeling that studios want to avoid subtitles at all costs because they, I know I agree, but because there are some people that have decided that they don't like movies with subtitles. I'm serious. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Not not me. I'm just saying there are people and uh, they want to alienate as few people as possible. Yeah. yeah, But you know, this is a PG 13. So those kids under 13, they shouldn't even be at this movie really. (laughs) Right. Even though I was, Actually, no, the original ones, I think, were all PG. That, that, that might have been before PG-13 even existed. Mm-hmm. But anyway, okay, so Andy talked about the characters that he liked with the tone. Steve, what, are, what were the characters that spoke to you or that resonated? Probably Jin, the main character, the most. Uh, okay. I don't know if you want to get into the pace next because that's that's what I wish they had worked with the most in this movie. I think okay. they had, yeah, we'll get into I think they had too many characters... I wish they had pared that down and spent a little more time with each. Uh, I should say, I liked the movie as a whole. I loved it. I really had oh, a great time. Oh, oh, oh shoot. No spoilers. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I didn't, your even, first time on I didn't even think about that. 
but um i wanted to have more uh backstory or more i wanted to see more conversations between the characters it didn't even have to be about the plot you know mm -hmm. they do this all the time just in movies. character building in yeah. general they're okay. talking about some experience they had in the past they would talk about their worldview or talking about playing the but, but, chess game which i don't know the name of you probably do well they played hollow chess in the original this one they actually had physical pieces yeah I think like Jigeric or something like that is the is the name for it, but hollow chess. But my point is I wanted I wanted some of these characters to break off and have moments with each other. Because mm -hmm. I think that's where a lot of the um, character development comes from and the attachment, at least for me. Okay, the, okay so here, here's the thing is that the movie was already two and a quarter hours long. Mm -hmm. If we'd gone into any more depth of the characters, we'd have to sort of like make it a three hour movie or, oh my God, turn it into two movies, which we don't want to do nope. to any more movies, please. Um, totally. Yeah, I, I could not agree with that more. This is <laughs> even at two hours, 25 minutes, even though I agree with Steve that we, I would have liked a little bit more, one movie, two and a, two and a quarter hours. Just get it over, get it done, tell the story you want to tell, and do not worry about padding it. Yeah. Here's the, here's the I don't think it's padding it. I think yeah, I but, think you I think you ignore that to the detriment of the movie. There's two things. I mean, if this was gonna be a standalone movie, I would totally, totally agree with you that hey, we needed more backstory on mm -hmm. Jin or some of the, the history but it's not intended to be a standalone movie I don't I mean or rather it is a standalone yeah. in an already established universe and series of well, movies yeah I mean I don't think anybody should go to see this if they haven't seen a few relevant Star Wars movies you know episode just four. five yeah you know so, so, at four, least episode maybe. four yeah, yeah. episode four um, so if it's not intended to be seen as by itself so you don't need quite so much of the backstory for these characters because you can assume plus and then the second part of what i want to say is that i did i thought they did enough so you got where she was coming from mm -hmm. and you, that yeah there was a gigantic chunk of 10 years of which you of her life of which you know nothing but you more, more than 10 years but yeah. yeah but you don't i don't think you absolutely had to know more in order to understand what the heck was going on yeah, I think you could understand her motivations just fine. Uh, the the super nerd in me, of course, you know, would want those backstories, but you can get those backstories. They already have, you know, books. And I actually, to plug them again, DK already has put out a few books about Rogue One. Mm -hmm. So if you want to learn more about K2SO and that series of droid, you can. You know, yeah. you can really delve into that in the movie as much as I would have liked to see it, I'm glad that they kept it the way it was. Although they did jump from planet to planet a oh, lot. Oh yeah. That was that for me, that was one of the most irritating parts of the movie was this first 15, 20 minutes of the movie where pretty much every shot was a new planet and mm -hmm. they had to explain in the tight little titles and subtitles yeah. what this planet was and what it was in this story that I found was confusing and that you know for i think for younger kids like oh, i'm all over the place i don't know what's going on yeah i just wanted to clarify i'm not looking for more backstory in the world i'm not looking for more exposition about why this planet with all the crystals is important to the jedi etc mm -hmm. etc cetera, et cetera. i i get that you can read the novels i was and... like if you want the answer to that you can ask me <laughs> <laughs> i'm talking about moments between right. characters that reveal a little more of their personality i'm talking about leia 
trying to fix the thing and she can't quite do it and he comes in and they have the moment that the tension and so forth and it doesn't have to take very long mm-hmm. and uh andy to your point the 10-year jump between uh her as a essentially an orphan child and mm-hmm. being locked up you can do that with editing really fast you can do just jump a five second to, yeah. yeah yeah here's a moment here's a moment in her life and she's getting older and older as you go through uh, they did that in the movie Looper, which is one of my favorites. Okay. Where I, I didn't think it was necessary, that's all. Okay, yeah. I, I take your point. Yep, fair enough. Uh, so for me, the character that that I really liked, I think that had, to me, the best arc uh, would be Riz Ahmed, who played Bodhi Rook, uh, who is, and again, like he is hard to go into his role without spoilers, so I will not really talk too much about it. But from his introduction to the end... I really liked what they did with him. And I liked that you saw without having to see anything about where he came from, who knows him, who he knows, where that was. I really felt like that was a solid character arc. You really felt for Bodhi. Uh, and so that, that to me with the tone and the character development, yeah, he, he gets it in, in my book. Mm, that's an interesting choice. Cause I, I, he was, he's such a, uh, really a minor, character same things. here yeah but hey. without him they would not have been able to succeed okay so yeah we can't we can't talk about details of what happens to him no no, no. okay no. Nope. okay <laughs> i felt well let me let me speak vaguely then okay something happens to him mm-hmm. which kind of gives him a unique mindset mm-hmm. and then it seems like that just sort of gets that just goes away magically if he had been permanently affected by that and that had some larger bearing on the story or it came to be that that helped them do something, uh, I would agree with you, but I currently don't. I mean, he was good and that had an element to the story that was important, but uh, I didn't see him as like a a mind-blowing character to me. Mm, Okay. I I concur. Yeah, well, you guys are entitled to your opinion. They are wrong, but that is okay. Uh, All right, cool. So moving out of tone and going into pace, which we have already kind of talked about a little bit. The thing with me when it comes to pace, yes, the naming of planets, I understand it is necessary because if you're just skipping from planet to planet, from environment to environment, and did not have those planet names, did not have the subtext of where they were, it would be even more confusing. That didn't bother me. So, I mean, yeah, I because I this is my medium, this is my world when it comes to sci-fi, I... I I understood it and I, I just kind of rolled with it, but I kept thinking that for the casual fan, they're like, okay, should I be writing this down? Like, should it, should I need to know where this is and this is and why that is important? So with pacing, that would kind of be one of my knocks on it. And it does have a lot of slow burn moments when it hits, it hits hard, both with the action set pieces with the character interactions but a lot of it is kind of a, a, a slow burn. Did you feel that way, Andy? No, I, I you know, I, I, other than again that that whole uh, beginning part of the the various planets <laughs> right. flashing by really quickly, I thought the pacing um, was was pretty good. Um, I mean, some movies can get bogged down in, in backstory and character development, which mm-hmm. seems unnecessary for what the, the movie is. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I didn't feel that the, this movie suffered that. I thought it moved along at just about the right pace just about most of the time. Okay. It's a pretty fast-paced movie, but uh, 
they had to do it because they had a lot to tell. Mm-hmm. And uh, from what I understand, they uh, d- told the story much faster than it's ever been told before. I mean, there are novels and mm-hmm. pieces of video games that talk about how they got the plans. Right. And it was maybe years. <laughs> and in this, it happens within a few days, it seems like. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's it's a action movie that moves fast. And uh, it felt right for what they were trying to do uh, with the concession of, again, I wish they had explored the character development a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Okay. So pacing, we, we all kind of agree that it was it was good. It worked for, for what it was or yeah. what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't mind the flashes of the planets and mm-hmm. so forth. I'm glad they had the text up on the screen exactly. of like, now we're in a new place and this is why it's important. Yeah. Why would you put, oh, I guess I can't talk about that because this is a spoiler. Okay. Mm. I mean, so like when they showed Yavin 4, which is the rebel, you know, headquarters. Again, if someone, if, because you have to think, you have to think about this. Andy grew up with this, with the originals. Steve, you and I grew up with this, with seeing them again. And then the new prequels, everything. There are people that, the Force Awakens was their first one. There are people who will see this as their first Star Wars experience. Mm-hmm. So seeing Yavin 4, it needed to say mm-hmm. headquarters of the Rebel Alliance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'll just say there's some places where I wouldn't station a base. Yeah. I wouldn't put a trading post there. Well, the and the, there is there is a big concession there trying to think. What was in the trailers? What has been talked to? I know Gareth Edwards has talked a lot. The director of this um, has talked a lot about it. But yeah, uh, th- there there is a place that is very important where they are taking kyber crystals. Um, and kyber crystals, and again, like for someone like me who really does like Star Wars and has read some of the books, and I liked those deep cuts. Because even though we have seen lightsabers before, we have seen a Death Star or a version of in almost every film hearing kyber crystals hearing people talk about them like to me that was awesome because mm-hmm. all, all that took was just them talking about it mm-hmm. so yeah there is a place in the movie where they're getting the kyber crystals where there's also a rebel fortress pretty much in their backyard that seems odd so yeah i'm trying to think there's not a lot of imagery from episode one two and three in this one it's it's really like they mm-hmm. have uh, said didn't happen. You know, I'm talking about yeah. the drone, the dro- droids that roll in mm-hmm. with the shields and stuff, which actually is a pretty cool design. But that's very much of that world. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the stormtrooper, well, the clones mm-hmm. from which that stormtrooper design right uh, evolved. They don't even have any indication of that in here. Yeah, and I you'd I, think that there would be some, you know, I don't I guess they don't even want to try to bridge it. They're just like we're Well, I think forward, they they did bridge good, it. Yeah. They bridged it in really good ways. And I will get into that later when we talk about Well, and don't heart. forget this is essentially, you know, parallel or or just barely before episode 4. That's a good so point. I mean mm-hmm. it really is almost entirely episode 4. Yeah. Yeah. And we are not quite sure at the end of this movie it seems like it could be within 5 minutes. Mm-hmm. of episode four. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. yeah, that's great. So they, they set that up really well. It could be longer. I mean, it could be a day or two, but it, they, they do a really good job with mm-hmm. that. Uh, so after pace, leading into action. Steve, mm-hmm. action, go. Donnie Yen killed it. Yeah. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was a great scene. 
uh, and the battles in space between the X-Wings and you know, you've always got to have a space battle this is not a spoiler mm-hmm. uh, pretty good yeah pretty mm-hmm. good um, was it so intense that it got my heart beating not really really but uh, I really like the battles on the ground I thought those were pretty good mm-hmm. I would have liked to see maybe a little more creativity and unexpected things happening I'm not okay. talking to the level of Ewoks rolling logs in front of the uh, right. ATAT. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the chicken walker appeared, that was really I, right. that was an oh crap moment for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, there was there were some good moments. Um, I don't know, Andy. Did it get your heart beating though? No, <laughs> man, no. tough crowd. I mean, no, I mean, it was it was it was a standard uh, Star Wars fighting action. I thought it I'd... was 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 done pretty well obviously the, the you know sort of like the years have intervened and things are look better they do look better absolutely mm-hmm. but i mean i didn't feel that it was choreographed and you know notably more excitingly than before of which i totally disagree in the sense of in this one i mean what the original ones failed at that they tried to make up for in the new set of prequels wait wait so Can you use the episode numbers four five I'm, six so, Start the whole thing again because okay. I'm, I'm lost so, already. <laughs> so in episodes four, five, and six, okay. the original trilogy yeah. failed at putting anybody who knew any form of martial arts uh-huh. in these movies. David Prowse? Oh, come on. He was a bodybuilder. <laughs> no. um, but, I mean, it, even with the lightsabers, like they were – George Lucas was trying to make it a very samurai feel. You know, a very katana-laden style of combat. Not like Errol Flynn. Or the, right, like yeah. Okay, it is yeah, not yeah. a dueling type of situation. In 1, 2, 3, they tried to make up for that by putting Ray Park in there mm-hmm. as Darth Maul. And Ray Park is a phenomenal martial artist, again, mm-hmm. with Wushu. So mm-hmm. they seem to have found their niche when it comes to the form of martial arts that works for this system, for this universe. But that was kind of it. So in this one, Donnie Yen being a legitimate martial artist was great. Uh, the fight scenes in general, the action scenes in general were really expanded and different than both four, five and six and one, two and three, four, five and six, like the battle on Hoth that everyone kind of, you know, goes to that. Unfortunately, as Steve and I know every video game, it seems like star Wars video game, you have to fly around and you have to wrap the cable around the legs. It gets real old. Hmm. But that fight scene in the movie is tremendous. Mm-hmm. It only lasts for a couple minutes, mm-hmm. but it really hooks you in. Mm-hmm. So with this one, with the multiple beach battle scenes mm-hmm. that you see in the trailer and then expanded into the movie, mm-hmm. I think were, were tremendous and significantly more evolved and better than the previous movies. Can you compare episode seven versus this one? Did you find the action to be engaging uh, in both of them? Engaging, yes. Um, I personally, I think, liked the action better in this movie. Uh, It did get my heart pumping. It was nice to see a different style, a different form. Mm -hmm. I mean, even when uh, Sheirut and Baze were, you know, doing their own system of fighting, Baze has, like, this assault rifle blaster Mm -hmm. that we have never seen before. So, again, just little unique things made the action different 
for me. Well, I mean, one um, significant thing, uh, hopefully this is not a spoiler and we can always cut it out if it is, but I mean, mm -hmm. there was a notable lack De of... <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a notable lack of Jedi presence and Jedi fighting. Mm -hmm. um, you yeah. know, lightsabers? Where were the lightsabers? I think there was one... Well, I think that's a good thing. I think they're separating it on purpose. Well, and also keep in mind... All right. <clears throat> Let me push my glasses up, get my soapbox... Uh, oh, Jesus. When, this, could, this could be a long time. When right A New now. Hope starts, the Jedi have already essentially been wiped out. Nobody has seen a lightsaber in decades. So that was why. So Darth Vader having a lightsaber, even people who are around him do not... They, they even say it in the original ones, like, oh, you're hokey religion, blah, right. blah. And then he chokes him. There's a great Wayne Brady line from Chappelle's show that I would say right now, but trying to keep this PG-13... Where Vader, yeah, chokes somebody. So it makes sense that you did not see a lightsaber in this. If they had a lightsaber in this, honestly, it would have taken me out of it because it would have destroyed part of the continuity and part of that willing suspension of disbelief of them being around. That being said, with Sharut, oh, I'm not done yet. Do not give me that look. <laughs> Both Andy and I opened our mouths for a moment. Oops. So, so with Sharut, when he was fighting, when I first saw his staff... Wait, who's Sharut? Donnie Yen. Yeah. When I first saw his staff, I was I was a little bit worried about what they're going to do with that. <clears throat> Something uh, lightsaber will shoot out of it. Right, but he did not need it. He was a guardian, you know, for the Jedi Temple. So he could be Force-sensitive. Uh, that, that could be a thing. It seems like a lot of people are Force-sensitive. Um, but yeah, he was a guardian of the Wills, which is also another super deep-cut Star Wars reference to the original title of the first movie. But... Yeah. So I liked that there were no no lightsabers in it, and it made sense that there were no lightsabers in it. Okay. Except for Vader. Uh, and, uh, again, this is slightly, maybe slightly off topic, but in terms of action, I still don't really... And, uh, willing suspension of disbelief, but <laughs> I still don't really get why, uh, you know, Imperial bases mm -hmm. don't, you know, with all these amazing starships and, and light speed travel and mm -hmm. thing that they they haven't come up with a a, a better defensive system for an an unarmored person just on a beach mm. isn't there some way of targeting you know through heat sensitive and stuff like that we could kill every single damn rebel on the beach in about <laughs> right. two seconds like napalm or something yeah yeah <laughs> and uh, i yeah. mean and electrocute I think... the beach for <laughs> I think that also speaks to why the action was better in these ones. When you watch the original, 4, 5, and 6, the Stormtroopers, I mean, it, it has become a meme over the years. It, it is just like G.I. Joe cartoon in the 80s. They're shooting lasers or blasters going everywhere, avoiding everything. In this yeah. one, everyone is a good shot in so much that they even have different levels of stormtrooper they had the death troopers mm -hmm. which were all in black mm -hmm. you know they had the the sand troopers so i mean they do different things and i think that was a huge benefit <laughs> mm -hmm. i i think that's where i found some of my uh i don't want to say boredom but maybe mm. under underwhelmingness of the action scenes Interesting. is that they were gun battles that feels so 80s cop movie to me. It feels a little cheap with it's just all gun battles because you can it, you can do anything. You know what I mean? If you do things that are more creative, and when I say creative, I mean, think Jason Bourne or 
Bond, and I know those are very different movies, but mm -hmm. they come up with tactics. They come up with some unusual way or, you know, they're in a spot and they've got to figure out how to do it in a creative way. That's what makes me go, oh my gosh, wow, I didn't mm. expect that. Okay. There wasn't a lot to these battles that I didn't expect, with one very, very notable except exception mm -hmm. in the uh, space aspect of it, where mm -hmm. I said, yes, that is mind-blowing, and they improvised, and now I'm engaged. Hammerhead Corvette? Really? You, that's not a spoiler? No. It is the name of a ship. The Hammerhead class. That's true. So, what you see what you see in 456? Andy has no idea. He's just agreeing with me, which I appreciate. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah, so, that's the moment I'm talking about. Work out what it was by the fact that he said it was a Corvette. Uh, Hammerhead. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, that's yeah. what I'm looking for more. Okay. Does it have to happen every minute of the movie? No. But I would like to have more of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I liked, uh, how do you say his name? Chirut? Chirut. Yeah, Chirut, something like that. Yeah, Chirut. But that uh, character of the blind swordsman, Zadoichi, mm -hmm. has been done a lot. Yep. It works. I like him. But it's not unique. It's it's oh, yeah. uh, it's know. an archetype that we've seen a lot before. Th so. There has yeah. there have been a million iterations of a blind monk. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Zatoichi, of course, being the most well-known. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, I thought, I mean, yeah, I thought the action was fantastic. So, anything else? But your standards are much lower. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> At, as the person who has seen more action movies than both of you combined. Uh, I don't know about that. Okay. that. Challenge. All right. <laughs> uh, okay. So, moving on to Heart. Now, with me, this movie, this is how you do a homage film. Because the immediate thing that comes to mind of a film that has a director of a property that really wants to treat it treat it well was Superman Returns with Brandon Routh. That was a terrible example of taking something that everybody loves and being like, you know what? I'm going to do the art house version, almost a shot for shot remake of the original Superman for this new audience. Here you go. And you just, I completely saw through it. But it was, was so dark, that one. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but, and just joyless. Yeah, it was just Whereas so Whereas Christopher weird. Reeve really brought Incredible. such heart to it. Yeah. So with this movie, this is how you do that. Gareth Edwards, as a director, was able to bridge those worlds, both from one, two, three, four, five, six, in such a good way that made it feel organic, made it feel real. This movie, and it sounds cliche, or whatever, and I'm not giving my rating yet, this movie felt like Star Wars in a way that 1, 2, and 3 never did. And I think that speaks to the ingenuity of the way that they filmed this. They went back to doing <laughs> practical effects. Like, a lot of the aliens that you see in this are people in costume. Yeah, I like that. Even when it looks incredible, like one of the characters that we barely see uh, in... Jin Urso's cell is this alien that has like some tendrils in front of his face. Like you can watch behind the scenes footage and like that is a person in costume. Mm -hmm. The dedication to practical effects and costuming is mind blowing. Hmm. And I think that is one of the ways that this felt like Star Wars to me. Mm -hmm. The other thing was George Lucas is arguably the most uh, celebrated, not most celebrated, most successful independent filmmaker of all time when he first started doing star wars nobody knew what this was he was like you know what just trust me let me give you all of these pieces 
And so when you looked at some of those original movies, things were literally cobbled together. The trash can droid that you see in the original Star Wars looks like a trash can because it was. The gunk <laughs> droid. Right. In this one, looking at Bodhi's headset that he puts on, and it has like random bits on it mm-hmm. that look like they were just glued on there. Mm-hmm. They were. Yeah. Like it felt authentic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Baze Malbus, his crazy automatic rifle thing had a canister on his back yeah. that looked like a trash can. It might have been. Yeah. Like it felt like an independent film with a massive budget. And it, yeah, that I think when it comes to heart, absolutely hit home with me. And you guys are stunned in silence. (laughs) (laughs) I I would call that design. And I totally Mm -hmm. agree with you that the design feels like it's part of four, five, and six. And I'm so glad that it's closer to that than it Mm -hmm. is to one, three, two, and three. And um, the points that you just mentioned, I think are great examples of how uh, it feels. It feels authentic. It feels lived in. It feels Mm -hmm. dirty. Yeah. And um, feels like just raw. Yeah, I think one, two, and three. It was just it was too polished. It was too shiny. They were trying to do too much. And Andy, like you kind of brought it up earlier, that visual stylistic difference from one, two, and three to four, five, and six is way too stark. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. so, it just because again, yes, this shows you that you can make a movie that ties to a movie from forty years ago and make it feel like it leads right into it. I think that the, I mean, obviously there was a lot more CGI kind of stuff in this than would have been available in four, five and six. Absolutely. But they, it it was pretty well integrated. I want to bring up one thing and I'm Mm going to avoid a spoiler in this, but there were two CGI characters in this. Technically three. Was it three? Mm -hmm. There's two main ones that I saw. And I'm going to say, I wish they hadn't done them. Hmm. because these looked like these we we are not apparently and this and this demonstrated it we are not quite yet at the point where a cgi character looks and moves entirely and talks like a human being and the closer yeah. we get the more apparent it is that's yeah. the whole like uncanny valley uh, yeah, that yeah. last three percent that's the most noticeable i, I wish i could disagree i, I really do because yeah I saw this twice. I saw it opening night and then again with you boys. And the the first time seeing it on opening night, when the first of the characters, you see him at a distance and mm-hmm. I'm like, ooh, are they going to do this? How are they going to do this? And he turns around. Immediately, visually, you know it is CGI. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously he died and also <laughs> 1994. <laughs> um, uh, so it, it visually, it it was hard. That being said, Industrial Light and Magic did the absolute best they could do. They did the best that anybody they, could yes, do. Yes, they did. But it's still it's like it's not good yeah. enough. They, I honestly, I, 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 it is so close though, to me. <sighs> it, when it, when it comes to like the physicality, it look the look like as far as looking like it, there I would say like at ninety percent, getting the mouth synced up, getting the way that they walk around the characters because. The way that they did this, the way that they accomplished this feat with the main CGI character that we see, they had an actor, similar to like an Andy Serkis type, where they're an actor walking around, mm-hmm. being in the physical space, yeah, and then with yeah, a bunch yeah, of yeah. dots. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's fine. We know yeah. how it works. The thing is that, that, I mean, I think we are adult enough 
to be able to to handle a person dressed in the same way as the original character who look with the same haircut as the original character mm -hmm. and no this is the original character hello harry potter you know I mean, sort of... Oh, Dumbledore? Yeah, Dumbledore. About? Okay. Yeah, Richard Harris to Michael Gambon. Yeah. It was okay. It was sad. You can tell. But it you, was, yeah. we, I mean, they looked absolutely nothing alike <laughs> bodily or anything. Mm -hmm. But it was okay. We handled the, the change over really quite well. Nobody nobody got terribly hurt. Well, mm -hmm. obviously Richard Harris did, but I mean... <laughs> <laughs> right. He didn't know about it. Uh, I mean, it was fine. We could handle... I think we could have handled these characters being played by someone who looked vaguely like them, but with the hair... Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. I generally concur, Doctor. However, <laughs> his face is so iconic yeah. that it would have been hard to find someone Nobody whose face like was... Uh, but I have to say, the senator that they picked for this mm -hmm. looks so much like the original senator. Interesting. I said, so I thought they may have done some sort of switcheroo on that, but they oh. just happened to find someone, if I understand correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, but they found someone that looks a lot Are like... Are talking about Orson Krennic? Played by no, Ben Mendelsohn? No, I'm not. I'm talking about talking Genevieve O'Reilly, the Senator Mon Mothma. Oh, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, so Mon Mothma. What is interesting about that, so, yes, it is a totally different actress, obviously, than 4, 5, and 6, or 5. Um, but she was the same actress who plays Mon Mothma in this, did play her in episode, I want to say, 3, in a deleted scene. So that was really cool. Those don't exist, remember. Those <laughs> but they do. We, we can no longer say the prequels are garbage. Uh-huh. Well, we can. This no, is, This is are. now a prequel. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, come on. It is. That's a... Okay. Uh, but yeah, so Mon Mothma, she has played her before in a, in a scene that was unfortunately cut from the earlier episodes. Yeah, because it would have made that episode so much better. Right. Maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... And actually, I, I'm okay with was spoiling this because I think you saw him in one of the trailers. The character that we are referencing is the late great Peter Cushing who played, well, in the future movies, Grand Moff Tarkin. In this he was, I think, just a general Tarkin. That, again, nobody looks like Peter Cushing. <laughs> mm -hmm. It just, you, you cannot replicate that. Mm -hmm. And so it was really, really close. Couldn't they have done a face swap? They could easily because, have done, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can do that with your iPhone now. You can do the face swap with your iPhone. And they had shots in Jurassic Park where it was the stunt woman falling through the ceiling and holding mm -hmm. on. And she looks up at the camera and they put the young girl's face on that stunt woman's face. Which they could have done that something like that. That is what like they that. did. <laughs> they could have shot him from farther away, put him in shadows, different yeah. angles, maybe cut some of his lines. I will say that I was very, very surprised at how much he was used. Yeah. Uh, when I first saw it, I was real worried. It it grew on me. I accepted it more as the movie went on, but I was I was really surprised. Um, who, who was the original uh, woman that Genevieve O'Reilly was playing? Mon Mothma? Yeah. In, uh, do, you, do you happen to know her name in uh, episode four? I'm trying to look I, it up, but uh, yeah, I can't I find it. do not. All right. I can't remember that actress. It doesn't matter. Okay. Um, but yeah, the other the other CGI... So there, there were two other ones. One we see for a hot second uh, towards the end. One is a creature that was completely unnecessary. Mm. That I think was just... It was very reminiscent of the brain bug in Starship Troopers... And uh -huh. it was just visually, it looked like they spent all their money on Tarkin and doing that out of respect to Peter Cushing. And then with this monster, 
it was just like, hey, here you go. Mm -hmm. When there was so much focus on practical effects with these aliens, mm -hmm. that one stood out as just weird and unnecessary to me. Is that the other one you were talking about, Andy? When you mentioned, or were you talking about the droid? Were you talking about Alan Tudyk's character? Because that's a no. I was talking no. about okay. towards towards the end. That one. Yeah. Okay. That one. So that one actually that was, that was decent. That was better. Uh, again, still not though. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. <Okay. laughs> we we have actors. They can be paid. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm also sponsored by SAG-AFTRA. <laughs> right. <laughs> he has his SAG card tattooed to his chest. Yeah. But, John, if we can get back to the heart aspect. Mm -hmm. it's we can. <laughs> beyond the design, mm -hmm. how was the heart for you? Because heart is usually going to come from the character's pathos mm -hmm. and their yeah. story. Uh, okay. Let me put it this way. With episode seven, mm -hmm. did you get the feels did you have anything did you well up did 100%. you yes. okay and in this one i did not i was more happy and and excited of what they were doing as opposed to as emotional as i was with episode seven with the force awakens mainly because episode seven i grew up with those characters Mm -hmm. You want those characters to succeed. You want was it those purely characters... the nostalgia, though? No, not at all. It was a fantastic yeah. movie. It was yeah. one of the best this year, um, or last year, technically, 2015. Um, with this one, it was a different type of feeling, but it succeeded on being nostalgic. I think that was something that 1, 2, and 3, it just it never felt like Star Wars. It, just, it, it always felt like they were trying to make a super shiny mm -hmm. new version and mm -hmm. it just, to me, did not. With regard work. to your feeling between episodes seven and this one, I pretty much agree with you 100% as far as uh, the feeling aspect. Mm -hmm. In episode seven, it, uh, yeah, it affected me quite a bit. And this one, I enjoyed it. I said, hey, they did a great job. That looks good. That looks good. That's well acted. Mm -hmm. But it didn't, it didn't um, affect me in the same way. And I don't think they did anything wrong. Uh, but it's just it just wasn't there. And whether for me it was a lack of nostalgia or not, I don't know. Interesting. I, I definitely want to see it again. Maybe my I, I was going to say maybe I was thinking about it too intellectually while I was in this first viewing and the second mm -hmm. one I can set that aside. And I think that, but, that was a benefit that I had is mm, the first yeah. time I saw it, I was you know invested. I was just really just in the moment when I saw it with you guys. Then it gave me the time to look in the background to look at more of the Easter eggs to try and, you know, do more things like that. But you're saying even the second time you didn't really feel a ton of emotion from it. It didn't oh, get no, I you totally beyond did. a, Oh, okay. Yeah. I just did not, you said happy. Did I just did not well happy? up, you know, like uh -huh. with, with the force awakens, there are moments in that, that just totally tug at my heartstrings because I grew up with these characters. This mm -hmm. one, some tragic stuff happens, uh, but it was a different type of feeling. Mm -hmm. I was sad for those characters and I was not, sad for my childhood like i was in the force awakens when things happen in that movie to characters that we love mm -hmm. so i think mm -hmm. that was that was the difference the and music wasn't quite there for me i mean obviously yeah. it's not john williams but they took john williams themes and played with it a little bit which was nice but i guess uh it wasn't until episode seven that i realized how uh important having the the uh, genuine John Williams mm -hmm. themes were to the emotional side of it for me personally. Yeah, that was that was one of the the discordant beats for me. Uh, they did choose uh, Michael Giacchino. Uh, 
Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. I think I probably mispronounced To do that. the score. Yeah, to do the score. And again, John Williams gets a credit uh-huh. uh, for this. Because but, the motifs are there. You yeah. hear the little bit of this and a little yep. bit of that. Nobody. I do not care how long people will be making movies. Nobody is John Williams. It just, it. he is someone that, similar to how Andy, you were saying, you know, oh, maybe they could find somebody who looks like him, does this. <laughs> With John Williams, they have tried multiple, multiple times. You're like, well, this guy kind of has some tones like John. Nobody is John Williams. The man has more Oscar nominations than anybody ever in any category with over 40 with no slowing down. So, granted, in this one, he gets the credit, but he did not actually do the score. Um, But, yeah, the tone and the heart when it comes to the music was very, very different. And I think misplaced in a few areas it's really difficult though i mean sort of the clearly the music is so associated with mm-hmm. this series I, I mean sort of i would i mean i'd love to hear something completely different but i i i realize and understand that you it's almost impossible now yeah. to do that <laughs> yeah it, it really is and yeah to to his credit to michael giacchino's credit the music was good the score was beautiful I just felt it was placed very differently. And there were parts when uh, kind of a pre-action set piece where the music is already ramped up when nothing really is happening, as opposed to that crescendo, that building into the scene like John Williams is a master at doing. Yeah, I think you're right. It didn't quite sync up at times. How was the heart for you, though, Andy? Did you feel anything? Did you feel anything? Spock, can you there? feel? Can you feel? What is this if word? I cut, if feel? I cut you, do you bleed? Um, uh, gosh, here uh, she is. Look into Jin's eyes. Yeah, uh, Jin was not. I did. I was not terribly moved by the main character Jin or one of the two main characters Jin. So, uh, heart-wise, yeah, it didn't really. But then I've never, you know, had uh, apparently that same emotional attachment as you boys seem to have to this. Um, I mean, I Which think... Which, again, you're entitled to your opinion. It no, is wrong, yeah, but go ahead. <laughs> and this, is, this is my time to speak. <laughs> um, so, so I, I, and I think it would, it would be incredibly difficult to create a Star Wars movie where I would feel terribly moved by okay. it, uh, you know, sort of like you know, like Luke Skywalker and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, it, it, I wasn't like, oh, that's so sad, or, or anything else like that. This at that point in time. So this one, again, I'm liking the move towards this darker, grittier tone, mm-hmm. and I could see if they could, if they, if they took it further down, that I think I would find that the the heart was beating there for me. I don't think they'll go as far as I would want. I would like them to because it would take them too far out of the original feeling for things. I mean, Force Awakens was darker than this. Force Awakens with Kylo Ren being crazy emo and just his tone and his savagery, I think made that tone darker. Was that more satisfying, would you say, as far as the darkness than this one? This is darker. I like the because dark, dark element. So you think this, this movie is darker than Force because Lakers? you see yeah. the okay. rebels not always being the good guys like we Fair thought enough. growing right. up. They have shades of gray, and like you said, one guy is uh, apparently ruthless, and then he yeah. becomes not as ruthless. I'm not sure why he decided to 
at that yeah. moment. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Uh, this is again. I mean, sort of because with Star Wars, they can they they they'll move it slowly, somewhat towards the edge, but they will pull back from mm -hmm. the edge. I want them to go over the edge. Okay. But they it's going to be won't. a while. Exactly. I mean, yeah. there's so much money wrapped in, and they're not going to do that. But no. yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Can we but, talk? Uh, can we talk about the acting at some point in time? Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, no it's, we're out of time. Uh, yeah. What's up? Um, okay, so I I, I want to point out that I am a big Ben Mendelsohn fan. Mm -hmm. He played Orson Krennic, and I thought he did uh, a pretty grand job of um, being this uh, di director of in the uh, in the pay of the, the military director he's the yep. main villain he's yeah. yeah yeah he's the main villain of this movie um i enjoyed wen jang who is in one of my favorite chi ever chinese movies red sorghum you should see it if you have not seen okay. it from way way back uh, mads mickelson i love everything that mads mickelson has solid ever super solid done. you should see some of his danish movies if you haven't and you only know him from like um james bond onwards dr strange <laughs> <laughs> dr strange um one person I gotta say I found completely unmoving was mm. unfortunately, and I, again I love him, not literally, but you know his work. If you love him so much, how <laughs> you marry him? Uh, Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker. I, totally I thought agree. Yep. his character Saw Gerrera, um I I was I was hopeful when I first saw him in mm -hmm. the younger iteration of Saw Gerrera. And then when we see him later in the movie, he is channeling a demented Morgan Freeman. Hmm. Um, it was like, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're doing here, Forrest, but whatever you're doing, it's not right. So he yeah. was one that he was probably the biggest uh, fail acting wise of this movie. I, again, I, wa I wasn't super excited by uh, Felicity Jones as Jin Erso, the you know one of the two main characters, but she did a serviceable job. Whereas Forrest Whitaker was the, I mean, was was almost cartoonish, and and it's like, oh no, this is this is taking me back to something bad in the Star Wars thing. Yeah, and unfortunately, I have to agree. I mean, Forrest Whitaker is fantastic in everything but this. Mm. This was something where, <laughs> as Steve mentioned, like this was a character that we needed that backstory. We need to figure out when we first see him in the beginning, to then we see him later what the hell happened? Because obviously something happened. Yeah. His sacrifice was supposed to be this big moving moment, but without the buildup to it, yeah. it just seems like that paid off See, yeah, too quick. I, to I totally agree. The thing is that, that, that this could be another one of these side Star Wars side stories. How did Saw Gerrera get to be what he was? Yeah. But the you know seeing him in this latest iteration of the demented Morgan Freeman makes me think I don't want to see this movie because this this second part was like uh, mm -hmm. I I mean sort of they built it up there's this kind of like uh, again m more complexity because you uh, in the Star Wars world as in much of the world you have good you have bad you have black hat you have white hat but here we have this third kind of mm -hmm. force mm -hmm. which shows complications which hey let's bring in current affairs we you've got syria a complicated situation where you've got more than two sides yep. you don't have good guys and bad guys you've got semi good guys you've got slightly good guys you've got slightly bad guys you've got really bad guys it's really right, complicated yeah. and influence from all other countries right and yep. saw Guerrero could have been one of these people to really make a more complex yeah. deeper story but they mm -hmm. they blew it yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah. And his main affectation was distracting more than it was, Absolutely, you know, yeah. 
yeah it was it was a tough performance i i yeah i i hate to say it because he again is phenomenal um i, I was just reminded of something though in felicity jones's main emotional moment where mm-hmm. she's seeing a moment from the past mm-hmm. that's where i was the closest to being moved hmm. uh, i thought okay. she did a fantastic job in that scene uh anything um father son or father daughter related is is uh pretty moving for me so yeah, yeah. Definitely makes sense. Uh, when it comes to acting, here is my my biggest problem with with Star Wars. I love Star Wars. If that is not evident uh, in all of these iterations, I will see every Star Wars. Just give me all of it. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> in all of the diversity that they are now including in the side characters, why does the female lead continue to be a white female brunette you had it with carrie fisher you had it with natalie portman you had it with daisy ridley and now you have it with felicity jones why and i i feel like in this giant universe that star wars expands out into with all of these aliens with all of these different things why in the cinematic features in the cinematic movies do they continue to do that and so that that to me is my my biggest problem with this and i'm not sure why star wars is afraid to take that next step andy wants them to take that next step and be tonally darker i want them to take that next step and take a risk when it comes to casting your female lead because this gets real tiring uh in the next movie that we see which is going to be the han solo solo movie uh we have no idea really who else is going to be in that but my hope (laughs) is just show more diversity. Like the Star Trek universe started doing this a long time ago. Why Star Wars almost 40 years later is still sticking with this same model. So that is that is my my soapbox for that. And that is the main thing that I am really disappointed with in all of these. So, yeah. There was, as it comes to a screeching halt. Yeah, uh, that broke us down. But to to go off of that, uh, the other thing that I really liked about this is that there was not a love story. Oh, I totally agree with you that. Can take, yeah. You can take uh, Felicity Jones, and from the beginning, you kind of see the Felicity Jones and uh, who is the uh, – oh, yeah, Diego Luna. And you kind of immediately start thinking of Leia and Han Solo, and you get those vibes – I really liked that they did not take it there. For sure. Even towards the end, they did not take it there. I loved that aspect. I really, really appreciate and respect that they did not go down that road. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Agreed. I uh, hopefully we're past that uh, somewhere they did a study and they go, we got to bring in the women. So we've got always, all the women want to see is love. And so we're going to always going to have a love story. That's not all women want to see. Women are more complex than that. So mm-hmm. uh, I totally agree. And, uh, and another Disney it. movie, Moana, that could have had a love story yeah. and it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and it doesn't need it. Yeah. And Force Awakens. Again, like the Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, like it was hinted at, but even in the movie, their characters, the way they interacted, recognized it mm-hmm. and, and did not, again, go down that path so hard so mm-hmm. yeah that that was a success in, in my opinion was 
uh, Jin a Mary Jane? Is that what they're called? Mary Jane? Mary Sue. Mary Sue. No. Explain what a Mary Sue is, and do you think she was one? She was not. Uh, because that was a complaint you had about Ray. Yes. I didn't fully agree with that, honestly. But so wait, the, the Mary Sue, and forgive me if I get some of this wrong, but basically it is it is a female character that can do no wrong, everybody loves. In Force Awakens, Ray happens to know every piece of machinery. She happens to know every language. Everybody likes like it just it is that kind of that perfect character. And I think if my history if I rolled a history check right now, if we would see, um I think that actually started on Star Trek. I think there was a character called Mary Sue. Um I am looking that up right now in case I got that wrong. Uh Mary Sue Origin. But yeah, just with this one, Felicity Jones was not that as much because you saw her struggle. Mm-hmm. You saw her be like Wait, how how do I do this thing? Mm-hmm. Whereas Ray, everything was easy. Mm-hmm. Everything just intrinsically worked. So, yeah. Uh, and yeah, the term Mary Sue comes from a name of a character created by Paula Smith in a 1973 for her parody story, A Trekkie's Tale. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it does have some Star Trek origins. But no, Ray, way more of a Mary Sue than, than this character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That could be a whole other podcast, I suppose, yeah. because... Basically, people are trying to go too far the other direction. Back in the old days, they had mm-hmm. a female character that was just there to look pretty and yeah. didn't really have any agency at all. And so the complaint is people are going too far the other direction where they have no, they can do no wrong. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Felicity Jones, I think, d- kind of rode right in the middle. I liked her physicality. There, there are a couple times when you know she is you know using her blaster and doing that stuff, and then she kind of breaks out a police baton. Mm-hmm. and goes to work that was pretty cool mm-hmm. because she grew up we are led to believe that we did not really see but she grew up in this rebellion mm-hmm. so she had mm-hmm. to learn those techniques so that was really cool i yeah. liked that aspect yeah so there we go so uh if this is your first time listening to about Treeview, which uh, first of all shame on you uh listen to all of them but the rating system for this podcast there are three options good bad and ugly Andy thinks it is the best rating system he has ever heard of. Because every time I talk about it, the look on his face just says, I love this system. Yeah, just listen to an earlier episode with me on it. (laughs) So the way that breaks down is a good movie is everything from it was a solid movie that you would recommend to someone to it was the best movie you have ever seen. A bad movie is you do not really regret sitting in the theater for a couple hours. It might not be the first movie you recommend to somebody, but it was it was decent. And an ugly movie you feel bad for wasting two hours of your life that you could have been doing anything else and you would never, you know, recommend that movie to somebody. So, with the rating system explained, Steve... On three, all of us. (laughs) Steve, you lead us off. What do you give Rogue One a Star Wars story? I wonder in these segments if the listeners try to read into our... how emphatic we are saying good because we could go... Good, or we could go good, or we mm-hmm. could go good. You know, uh, start, start trying to break up more levels. <laughs> yeah, into my suggested there's something beyond this. But you know, Andy Cisco Niebuhr did that with two big thumbs up, two Ugh. big thumbs way up. Andy tried to give something like a good plus one time. And uh, yeah, no. yeah. Mm. But what do you think? Good. Official rating. It was good. Good. Okay. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think it set out. It did what it set out to do. It uh, changed the world for the better while still sticking with 
the best aspects of it design wise and character wise. I have quibbles obviously, and I wish it had moved me more, I guess is the right okay. way to say it. And I wish, um, I think, I think the fact that it didn't move me came from the, what I see is the lack of character development or character moments or, uh, not backstory necessarily, but I wanted to feel more for the characters, uh, not in an intellectual way, but in, in my core. And okay. that just wasn't there. That said, they did a great job with it. It looks good. Sounds good. Uh, well acted. Good. All right. Andy. Um, yeah, I, I mostly concur with Steve. I would say, again, if you are one of those strange people who you have not seen any of the other Star Wars movies, you, that you, you won't necessarily be lost, but you won't get nearly as much from it so if 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 i'd never seen another star wars mm-hmm. movie i'd probably say well it was a serv- serviceable two and a quarter of hours i wasn't like super bored or anything and i'd probably give it yeah i'd give it a bad but you know having seen the the you know previous movies mm-hmm. knowing what i was and knowing that the there is some improvement from where we had been before mm-hmm. um i'd have I'd, I'd give it a i'd give it a good i mean i, okay. I, I don't give it a super enthusiastic good or anything i'd give it a good all right fair enough uh, with me, yes, I had some problems with it, just like Steve mentioned. It was not a perfect film. Uh, there, there were some some big issues that I had kind of with some of the the characters and what they did with them. Um, like I said, I really want them to to cast a more diverse main cast and give them some agency to do something. That being said, if it looks like Star Wars, if it tastes like Star Wars, it sounds like Star Wars, it is Star Wars. This movie is good. Like, I, I really enjoyed this. This is a movie I have already seen it twice in the span of a couple days. I know I will go back and watch this again. So, yeah. Thank goodness good. we're getting the word out there about Star Wars. <laughs> I mean, this little independent <laughs> film, Star Please, Wars. Please, guys, go and see this in the theater. <laughs> Give it a shot. Give it a shot. This is worth your 10 to 15 to $20 that it, that it costs. So, and yeah, I also would recommend see this in the theater. Do not necessarily see it in 3d this is not one of those movies that i think would benefit from that Mm -hmm. this is a movie that you need to see in a theater um yeah because it 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 is star wars Mm -hmm. so there we go so that was our star wars wrap-up spectacular uh and then yeah for the books that we mentioned again i will put those on uh the blog post for this episode we talked about from dk if you're looking for Christmas gifts for a Marvel or DC person in your life, these, yeah, they will be very happy with these books. So, yeah, look down in the show notes for all of the information on those books. Thanks again to Christy Sheehan at DK for hooking me up with that and look forward to hopefully an interview in the near future. So, uh, Andy, thank you. Dr. Andy, sorry. I, <laughs> sheesh, I don't know what I was I doing. I worked hard for that. Uh, you can now put your green saber away. Uh, this guy named Steve, thank you for, for being here. Uh, before you put your blue lightsaber away, uh, where should people follow your adventures? Well, you can find me on Twitter, at SteveBlog. You can find me on Instagram, at StandInside. Or head over to my website, where you can see all kinds of fantastic video samples of my travels around the world, at <laughs> StandInsideMedia.com. Excellent. You can now put your saber away. Uh, and for me, I have been that guy. I have been and continue to be 
that guy named John. Where can we hear more from you? Where can we follow you? So you can follow me. You can follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at about to review. I make it really easy. Call it brand synergy. Unified. Very uh, nice. You can go on the website aboutreview.com and stream the episodes from there. You can find it on Stitcher, iTunes, wow. Blueberry, uh, Blueberry, <laughs> Pod Bay. It is. It is all over the place. Uh, if you want to pitch in a dollar and help my fund to go see this movie for a third time, you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash about to review and pitch in a couple bucks. It really helps out the show. Uh, one of the things I learned in this podcasting adventure in my saga, uh, podcasting can get a little bit expensive. So if you want to help out with that, that would be fantastic. Uh, so yeah, that is, that about wraps it up. Let me put away my dark saber, which is also referenced in this movie, which I really hope they go down that path and show a dark saber in the near future. Nerd. <laughs> so thanks to everyone for joining. So as the great Yoda would say, do or do not. There is no try. So download this podcast and we'll talk to you later. Bye. I said seagulls poking my head. What? No. <laughs> All right, guys. We will see you next time. This has been an About to Review production. Thank you to Vexing Media, who provides audio editing services. They are a graphic design, website design, and digital media company. You can find them at their website, vexingmedia.com, or on Facebook and Twitter at Vexing Media. <laughs>